So I get this question about angels and what the role of angels are in our lives, in this world. And quite frankly, I'm a little bit stumped at that one. We don't talk a lot about angels. And I think we have a tendency to do one of two things with angels. Either we give too much to them, we consider them to be more than they are, or we do the opposite and we ignore them. So I'm pondering this idea about angels, and it struck me that we have some preconceived ideas in our minds about angels. A lot of those pictures come from art. So I found a few images of art that might, I don't know, trigger some of those ideas for you. And we'll just take a few seconds and look at some of these pictures. You've seen It's a Wonderful Life, haven't you? Now, there's a few things, common denominators in those pictures. One is wings, right? They all have wings, except for Clarence. Uh, He hasn't gotten his wings yet, right? This is pre-bell ringing for him. So they all have wings, which is interesting because there are only a few places in Scripture where angels are described having wings. Um, so there's that. They, I also am intrigued by the fact that most of the, in all those images, they, the angels look pretty European, right? Maybe they are. I don't know. But anyway, that's the image we get. There's a lot of finger pointing with angels. Did you notice that? Either up or straight at someone or doing that. We have these. And, and the other thing is that a lot of them look, um, you know, they... They look like little children sometimes, and uh, which is intriguing to me. But we have these images in our mind, and, and angels are very popular in our culture. There are, there are a lot of people that have nothing to do with Christianity that are enamored with angels. I mean, just the fact that you had these popular television shows that were hits for many years about angels... And uh, the work of angels in the world tells you something. And I see, you know, angel uh, pendants and, and angel necklaces and angel all kinds of jewelry and things. People love it. And they have nothing to do with, I don't, a lot of people don't have anything to do with being a follower of Christ. They just are enamored with angels. As someone, I, I read someone, a best-selling author, talked about the fact that maybe the reason for that is because we've created this image of God where he's judgmental and vindictive And angels are just nice. They would never do that. Angels are compassionate. They would never be demanding of us. And if you have to choose between someone who's demanding and someone who's just nice, who are you going to pick? Right? And so our culture has, we have these images of angels that come to our mind when we think about them. And most of the time, they're probably not all that biblical. 
When we read the scriptures and we read about angels, and angels are mentioned over 300 times in the scriptures. Almost every book of the Bible mentions angels. What we find is that, in essence, they are servants of God who do God's work, accomplish God's work here on earth. And in a summary statement, that's, that's who they are. They are servants of God. Whatever God wants them to do, that's what they do. Wherever God wants them to go, that's where they go. Whatever God wants them to say, that's what they say. They are servants of God. And sometimes their service, their, the work that they do for God, is quite harsh. They're warriors. Genesis chapter 3 is Adam and Eve are banned from the Garden of Eden. God appoints an angel to block the way, to guard the entrance with a sword. Intimidating. Warrior. In Second um, Samuel, and actually it's a number of places in Samuel and Kings, Chronicles, there are, there are a number of places where angels are, are the means God uses to bring justice upon Israel for their sin. And the means God uses to overcome Israel's enemies who are going to destroy them. And the angels are warriors. You move into the book of Revelation and you see them often in the book of Revelation. In fact, just from chapter 5 to chapter 22, the end of the book, angels are mentioned over 70 times. And a lot of their work has to do with being agents of unleashing the justice and the wrath of God on the world. They are referred to as destroyers and destroying angels. They are, they do kind of the dirty work for God sometimes. But there's also the other side of it. They are a help to people. They accomplish the work of God in a positive way on earth. When Abraham is, is looking for a wife for his son Isaac, he gets his servant and gives him instructions and sends him off to their homeland to find an appropriate wife for him. And he says, the angel of God is going to go before you and the angel will help you. In Acts chapter 5, Peter and John have been preaching the gospel and they are arrested, put in prison. And an angel comes and frees them. Same thing happens to Peter in Acts chapter 12. He's imprisoned and he is... uh, Facing impending execution. And he thinks he's having a dream. In this dream, an angel comes and releases his arms from the chains and his feet from the chains. And and the, the guards are asleep. And the door to the cell opens and Peter walks through. And the door to the prison opens and Peter walks out into the street. It isn't until he's a block or so away from the prison that he, in essence, kind of wakes up and realizes, oh, I'm outside the prison. And he realizes an angel rescued him. And there are numerous stories like that of angels coming and doing God's work in the world. Angels are created beings. It's it's important for us to understand that because sometimes I think there is this mindset that angels are almost divine. They're not. They are created beings. Angels are um, often invisible Sometimes they're visible. In um, Genesis 19, they take on human form. Abraham is 
out one day and uh, some guys walk up to the tent, just like regular guys to, to Abraham, and he welcomes them, feeds them, and finds out later that they are angels. In 2 Kings chapter 6, Elisha's in his house one morning. His servant goes out as he always does, probably to retrieve some water. And he looks around and the army of their enemy Syria has surrounded them. And he's freaking out. Because they only have, the army has one thing in mind and that is to kill Elisha and his servant. And he runs back in the house and says, Master, Master, you're not going to believe it. The army of Syria is out there. We're dead. And Elisha, as calmly as can be, says, you don't understand. The army for us is a lot bigger than the army of Syria. And the guy looks at him and what? There's no other army out there. Come look. And he drags him outside. There's no army. And Elisha says, Lord, open his eyes. And all of a sudden he sees the army of the heavenly host surrounding the hillside with swords ready to protect them. Sometimes visible, sometimes invisible. Sometimes they appear in dreams. Maybe they're less intimidating in a dream than they are face to face. Because the reality is... When most people see an angel, they're terrified. Angels scare the life out of people. What's the first thing out of almost every angel's mouth? Don't be afraid. Fear not. Why do you say that? Because they're shaking in their boots. If one of these people, these images that we saw on the screen, anything like that just sort of showed up in front of you, you'd be scared too. They frighten us. But they come not to frighten us, but to be representatives of God, his servants. And that very point, that they are created to be servants of God, to accomplish his work in the world, I think is at the heart of why there is rebellion in heaven. Because one of the angels isn't going to live that way. One of the angels decides he doesn't like God's plan. He doesn't want to be a servant of God. He wants to be his own master. He went back. He wants to be God. And he rebels. And we call him Satan, the devil, Lucifer. And he takes, according to Revelation 12, maybe a third of the angels in heaven. He takes them with him. And they seem to become what we know of as the demons. And they are people who are, who do the, they are beings that do the work of God or the work of Satan in this world. Satan is the adversary of God. Actually, Satan is not necessarily the adversary of God. He is the adversary of us. Because to say that he's the adversary of God implies that he is sort of the opposite of God. You know, when we think of opposites, you say good, bad. Say light, say dark. Rich, poor. God, Satan. No, nothing could be further from the truth. The opposite of Satan, as someone said to me earlier, maybe is Gabriel, one of the angels. Satan is not the all-powerful being who is evil. He is an angel who is evil. And God is other than all that he has created, including angels. And the angels rebel, or the, the demons and Satan rebel against God. 
We don't know exactly why they want to be God. They, they want the power that God has. They don't like the plan that God has. Paul equates their rebellion with conceit and pride. Someone suggested that maybe when it says that, that, uh, that uh, God created the human beings a little lower than the angels, that, now, that Satan looks at that and says, wait a second, these beings are less than us. They, they don't have what we have. They're not able to do what we're able to do. And yet you're going to pour out your love for them? You're going to give your son for them? Don't you realize that they're going to rebel against you and, and they're going to sin against you and they're going to hurt you? This is ridiculous. I'm not standing for that. I don't know. It kind of sounds like something Satan would say. Satan's, Satan's role is to hurt what God loves. And that's to hurt you and me, to destroy his creation, to do all in his power, to hurt us. And that's why, but it's important for us to understand and remember what Paul writes to the church at Rome at the end of chapter 8 when he says, neither angels nor demons nor principalities nor any powers can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Satan may be powerful. He may have a time when he is able to to wreak havoc on us and on the world. But God is still in control. But it's because of Satan's hatred for us. It's because of Satan's work against us that God seems to send angels to us. And one of the things that that God does for us as, as he is sending angels to us is that he protects us. He comes and, and he gives us his protection. You know, we talk about guardian angels. And the guardian angels are, I don't know, it's hard to know exactly, do you have one angel? Does everybody have a guardian angel? Do you have a group of guardian angels? It's hard to know. But scripture seems to tell us that we have angels that are with us and that, that protect us. Psalm 91 says, he will, not, he, will, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. When Jesus is being tempted by Satan, they're on top of the temple. Satan says, just jump off. The angels will protect you. And he quotes this passage. And Jesus doesn't deny the fact that he's right. He just says, this is not the will of my father to do this. I think about the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3. They refused to bow down to the image of the king, and so they're thrown into the fiery furnace. And after a few minutes, the king looks in there and says, wait a minute, first of all, these guys are not dead. They're walking around. And didn't we throw three in there? I see four. And the scripture talks to us about an angel with them. Just a couple of chapters later, Daniel refuses to stop praying. And he is thrown into the lion's den. And the writer of Daniel says that the Lord sent the angel, his angel to close the mouths of the lion to protect him. It's hard to know exactly how often God protects us. But he seems to do it a lot. 
Because the evil one is continually wanting to destroy us. And really the, the real miracle of life is that how seldom those kinds of things happen. Not how often they do. John Patton was a missionary in the 19th century to South Sea Islands. And not too long after he and his wife arrived, the, um, the tribal people they were, where they were living surrounded their hut one night and, with weapons and were coming to attack them. And he and his wife spent all night on their knees praying for God's protection. And when they got up the next morning, all the, the men, the warriors, were gone. They didn't know what happened, but they were, saw it as an answered prayer. A year or two later, one of the men in the tribe who had been standing around there was converted to Christ. And, and John Patton asked him, so do you remember that night? He said, oh yeah, I remember that night. He said, why did you guys leave? The guy said, well, why did, you, why did you have all those guys standing around your hut protecting you? He said, we didn't have any people around our hut protecting me. It was just my wife and I. We were the only ones. We were inside on our knees praying. He said, well, I'm going to tell you, we all saw an army of men standing around you with swords, and it scared us to death, and we ran. I think about years ago, Cindy and I were coming back from Buffalo. It was nearing, nearing evening, summer evening. It was just that point where we were starting to get dusky. and we were just come through Rushford, and as we were coming down 243, a deer ran out in front of us, and I swerved, and the car went into a spin. And I don't know how many times we spun around, four or five times, I think, and we ended up hitting one of those wire guardrails on the other side of the road, and it just stopped us. And the car was totaled, but we walked away virtually unharmed. And I've thought of that often, that there's a lot of traffic on that road, a lot of trucks on that road. Nobody was around as we were spinning across both lanes of traffic. It's one of the few places there's even a guardrail. And we hit it. And it kept us from going over an embankment. Can't help but think about guardian angels when you have those kinds of experiences. And I suspect there are all kinds of things that happen in our lives that we don't even know that guardian angels are protecting us because they just happen and we don't realize the danger we've been in. We might call them close calls or sometimes we don't even realize it. But God is protecting us. But let's be honest, sometimes we don't get the protection. Sometimes things happen and pain happens and Trouble comes to us and difficulties come to us. And it's in those moments that God sends his angels to comfort us. And I don't know why sometimes we're protected and sometimes we're not. But I do know that in the times when we are not, in the times when we face the difficulties, God sends his angels to comfort us in our pain and our struggle. When Jesus, when the temptation is completed... And Satan leaves him, the angels come and minister to Jesus, Scripture tells us. And, and later on, we find that, that God's people who have been struggling and wrestling are comforted by his spirit and his presence. Now, there's so many times when we don't know how we're going to get through something, and we do. And it's not until we look back later and think, I don't know how I made it through that, but 
I did. Through the grace of God. Maybe through his comforting angels. There's a theory that when we die, God's angels are there for us to take us in the presence of Jesus. In Luke 16, Lazarus, a story of parable Jesus tells of Lazarus and the rich man. It says when Lazarus died, the angels carried him into that place of paradise. It's hard to know, but it sounds like something God would do with his angels. The writer of Hebrews tells us in the first chapter, he says, he asks the question, aren't all angels ministering spirits? That's one of the reasons they exist, to comfort us, to help us. And in our struggles, in our difficult moments, they are there for us. And angels have a word for us. Now Jesus, when Jesus speaks to people, he speaks in a general sense of the, the general nature of God's truth. Angels don't tend to do that. They come with a specific word at a specific moment at a specific time for specific people. In case in point, Zechariah goes into the temple to pray and to offer the incense And the angel appears and tells him that he and his wife, who have been unable to bear children and are past childbearing age, are going to have a baby. And that child, John the Baptist, is going to prepare the way for the Messiah. At almost the same time, Mary, minding her own business, and an angel appears to her and says, I've got something that's going to tell you something that's going to blow your mind. You're going to have a baby, it's going to be the Messiah. And Joseph isn't quite sure what's going on with Mary. as She's here, his fiancée is, is pregnant. And he's not the father. And he's ready to divorce her quietly. And the angel appears to him and says, Joseph, here's the deal. And in that word, he clarifies the truth. There are times when we just need a word from God... And the angels direct us perhaps to a passage of scripture or put something into our minds or bring someone into our lives to say something to us that we need to hear. And God uses angels to speak his word that encourages us and warns us and helps us. And ultimately, the role of angels in this world is to turn our attention to God. So one of the things that we struggle with as a culture is that we want to worship angels. I mean, we love to worship anything but God. It's part of our sinfulness. And we want to worship angels. Some people want to worship them and put them on a higher pedestal than they should be. But the angels themselves keep telling us, no, it's about worshiping God. All throughout the book of Revelation, they, they join in worshiping God. They tell John, worship God. And in fact, as John is taken on this tour of, of, the, of Revelation and revealed to God from God all that's going to happen... In chapter 19, John is so absorbed in what's going on that he bows down to worship the angel who's his tour guide. And the angel, I can almost see it, the angel grabbing him by the hair and picking him up and saying, no, 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 stop. It's not about worshiping me, it's about worshiping God. The angels sing to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest. The angels proclaim to the shepherds, to Mary, to Joseph, to everyone around. This is about worshiping 
God. And the reason we worship God is because, the, because God loves us. And that too is the angel's message. God loves us so much that he would send these angels into our lives to comfort us and to help us and to speak his word to us, to protect us. And quite frankly, I don't know exactly why we need angels. God, I don't think God needs angels. But we must. John Calvin said, you know, it's hard to really fathom the purpose of angels and, and why God would need them to speak to us. But if God in his generosity and love chooses, believes that this is something we need to better experience him, then let's give thanks. And it reveals to us the depth of God's love for us. That he would create beings who would help us in a way that we need. And maybe there's just something about how God communicates through angels that helps us hear better and see better and understand better than we could without them. But we give thanks to him. We give thanks for this gift. Because angels really are a gift from God. There's so much about angels that we do not know. They're a mystery. We suppose, we surmise, we do a little bit of of putting together, connecting dots. But ultimately, angels are a mystery. But we do know this. They're a gift of God. And we need to celebrate this gift. And to join in with the angels on that hillside, singing to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest. For the gifts that he gives us through his grace, his mercy, and his love. Holy Father, thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you for the gift of angels. We don't always understand what they're doing and how they're doing it and perhaps even why they're necessary, but they are a gift from you and we thank you. We thank you for the ways in which you use them in our lives. So as we prepare our hearts for the coming of Christ, Give us hearts grateful for this gift and all of your gifts. Amen.